Yeah, buddy, you've downloaded Tropical Talk Radio, where we talk about all things entrepreneurship, travel, and lifestyle. If you're interested in more about this program, check out tropicalmba.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, I will personally send you 50 free podcast episodes that take you along on our journey and expose the insider story on how we started a million-dollar, honest-to-goodness product business while we traveled the globe. All right, Joe Magnotti, my good buddy. I don't think you really need an introduction. Uh, AdsenseFlippers.com, obviously, and the Outsourcing for Startups podcast. I got a question today that I thought we could tee off on, and it would be, it's a fascinating topic for us, sort of something that we've been passionate about, and it's something that listener David's really interested in. So he says, I heard on your podcast that there's a law that allows U.S. citizens to basically be tax-free if they're outside of the United States. Uh, he also asks, he's sort of planning on his way out and all his work is remote. So what are the implications for entrepreneurs that are going to have these like sort of virtualized businesses like you do? You can be anywhere. You know, you're very far away from your 30 odd employees right now. Um, so what are the implications of all this? People, his friends are telling him, go to Belize, go to the Seychelles, go to some of these crazy places. Um, and he has some sort of further questions about personal bank accounts. So what do you say we tee off on this topic for a couple of minutes and sort of walk through some of the things that we've done? Yeah, let's do it up. All right. So the first thing I want to say, um, we don't sound that smart, so that's good. We are not that smart. We are not tax advisors. We're just here to sort of, we're, we're entrepreneurs. We're trying to inspire you guys to do some cool international stuff with your business. So, you know, whatever you hear from us, confirm it with someone that actually knows what they're doing. Yeah, I have paid lots of money to accountants over the years, but I am not an accountant, nowhere near it. Yes. So uh, please just take everything with a grain of salt and check it out. Hey, it's a great first point because, so we both said before the podcast that we wish we would have gotten accountants earlier in our business. They're actually cheaper back home. Do you know, what do you pay for your U.S. accountant? Do you know off the top of your head? Not a lot. It's not much. I think for us, it's under 400 or 500 bucks a month or something. We've got a relatively big business. You know, that's a drop in the bucket. When we started, we were like, oh, we're so broke. We can't afford it. And then the first meeting we had with our accountant, it was like, I can't believe we waited so long to do this. Yeah, I would even say more than an accountant is a bookkeeper, right? Absolutely. That having that person that can enter in all the transactions into QuickBooks that you can just send all your receipts to that you can talk about transactions with and she can keep everything organized. So this way when the accountant comes in, everything's done for him at the end of the year yes. and it's not a mess to go through. That makes it a lot easier. Okay, so there's there's basically, there's three categories of people you're dealing with. Bookkeepers, which are the people that keep you straight. 90% of the people listening to this podcast right now are doing the shoebox method, if they've even got a shoebox, right? Right. That's receipts in shoebox, cross your fingers. And that sucks because you don't know where you're at. You know, you're just... You're spending a lot of, especially with solopreneurs, we see it all the time in our network, just going out to eat. Well, when you're a solopreneur, going out to eat is a business expense in my book in the sense that that is taking away the cash from your business, which is the lifeline of you surviving as an entrepreneur. The next level is the accountant level, which is the guy that's going to be like, you need to open up an S-Corp. What are you doing as an LLC? And then the next level is the stuff that we're talking about right now, which is international tax consultant, which are like the white leopards. You can't find them. Right. And, and that brings me back to like, the original question I would have for your listener, which is how many customers you got right now? Okay. <laughs> because, because before we get to all these levels and all this stuff, you know, if you, if you just got three customers and they're paying you and, and everything's fine and dandy and they're 1099 you, yeah, I understand that you could save some money from taxes, yeah. 
But I would really rather you concentrate on your business and you devote all that time, energy, and effort toward increasing your business or making your business better than than that paperwork. Man. So book. Okay, let's go back to the thousand day principle. Then it takes a thousand days to make your corporate salary out of your own small business. On what day do you get the bookkeeper? Would you say? I mean, right out of the get first day, are you going to start paying a hundred bucks a month? Maybe maybe like within the first year. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say the day the day that popped into my mind was day two hundred, but. Uh, for me, you're gonna get employees, or you're, you're gonna get the accountant level, that's the next level, when you have employees and inventory. Right, otherwise, you know, you can just do that stuff through TurboTax online, yeah. and if your bookkeeper keeps everything straight, you can really do most of that yourself. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit of a bitch. Yeah. It might take you five hours, that one day a year, but it's worth it because accountants are expensive. As long as we're not talking about international accounting or anything like that, if it's a standard type of 1099 taxes or something like that, and you have all of your expenses well organized in a bookkeeping system, it's gonna be easy. So generally, you're not gonna be thinking about international tax consultant until after 1,000 days, like especially if you live in the United States. So yeah. you're not gonna to wanna to leave, do subsidiary. We're gonna talk about some of that stuff, but you're not gonna to wanna to be doing that until day 1500 and you're balling, right? Yeah. Take I, your yacht to your international tax consultant's office, right? Exactly, like I, I can't see a reason why you would have to try to save all that money. Your, your time and energy is better focused on getting new customers, productizing your business somehow, getting yeah. other services out there, that kind of thing. No question. Even when you talk about guys who spend a lot of time doing offshore rigmarole and stuff, they're always like, just grow your business, man. Don't spend time with this. This is just, uh, you know, it, it's it's taking your eye off of the price. It's a trick. It's a trick. Yeah, and it's not even that good of one. It's an expensive <laughs> trick because you're spending all your time dealing with some random banker and some in Belize. And I think that that's kind of <laughs> like the ambiance of it, right? Yeah. It is that a lot of people want to be able to say, well, I have an international corporation, you know, it's I, I have a, I have a company over here and a, and a, you know, I'm in the Caribbean and I got bank accounts all over, but, but at the end of the day, man, it really doesn't matter. It's not that cool. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about some cool ways that people might be able to implement this stuff in their business. But first let's talk about the first steps out of the door, which is the foreign earned income exclusion act, the F E I E. There's two ways to qualify for it. The first is uh, qualifying for the physical presence test. So basically the FEIE says that you're gonna not pay taxes on your first 97 or so grand um, in personal income, which for most businesses is the same thing, right? Right. Um, so you're gonna save that money if you are outside of the United States for any given period, like 330 days out of 360 five or four what are we on it 365 <laughs> yeah and a quarter <laughs> and and there's another way you can do it by qualifying for bona fide residence okay so do you know anything about that i mean you know i don't because i don't take advantage of it i've heard a lot about it talked about it but as i see it in our little thousand day paradigm that we've been sticking to here yeah i i see that being maybe a second year thing um, that you do make sure you get the bookkeeper. Maybe you, if you get everything straight, yeah. if you happen to spend more than 330 days overseas in the first year, then go ahead and try to qualify for it. The second year, the first uh, year you're probably going to be all expenses anyway. Johnny, Johnny expense, right? Yeah, so. I mean it's going to be you're not going to really make any money anyway. So <laughs> look at us Debbie Downers. You know these young kids are pretty smart. You know? <laughs> it's yeah, it's not going to matter much. The second year is the year that you might have to take advantage of that situation, uh, and along with good record keeping uh, and you know a limited amount of personal income 
profit after yeah, yeah. expenses, then sure, go ahead and use this in combination. And it's a cheap way to absolutely save you some money. Sure. So like, uh, you know, the way I understand it is qualifying for bona fide foreign residents can be expensive because you have to square that with wherever country you're in. So if you're in the Philippines and you're not in a PESA zone, like, and you know about that stuff, and right. you might be able to help people if they're balling. Uh, we'll get to that later. But, um, you know, that could easily cost you 30% corporate taxes in the Philippines. You have to te- speak a little Tagalog or whatever it's going to be. You know, yeah, you're going to have to hire a lawyer here, you know, yeah. get the contract set up with people, make sure that you have that kind of stuff settled. Whereas now, for the solopreneur, though, let's, let's take the case of a, let's say I, I code Ruby on Rails and I spend like my summers in Europe and stuff like that. And I make 150 grand a year. Now, if I decide to, that I don't really need to go back to the United States, and then you overstep that 35 day period by say 10 or 15 days, that 10 or 15 days could cost you $45,000. Yeah. So it's a pretty profound tax event. You gotta be careful, yeah. for sure. You make sure your flights and your dates and everything line up uh, and, and, and make sure that you're you know, under the $97,000, I would say too. You know, if you're making $150,000 a year, make sure your expenses bring you down below that so you don't have this sort of middle area of taxable income that you'd have to declare in your tax return as well. Right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about speaking of identifying expenses. That's actually a big problem, right? Especially if you're some Ruby on Rails guy, what are you going to spend 50 grand on? That's going to build your business, maybe an employee, but maybe you could open up a subsidiary company. Hmm. And so this is an option when you have some scale, when you have some real money coming in, let's say, you know, you're hiring contractors, but instead you say, you know what? rather than earn this income and pay taxes on it, I'd love to open up a development shop in the Philippines. And that way I can send, I can train these people in the Philippines, I can send my Ruby development work there, and I'm using what would have been taxable personal income instead to invest, and then I'm gonna see more return on that in the future. Yeah, I like that situation. I think that could work. Obviously you have to have the US corporation first, so you could have the subsidiary and the foreign subsidiary, Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think that can work, and it's something that would be useful to a solo entrepreneur who just is starting to expand his consulting business, his coding business, that sort of thing. Now, there's one interesting element to um, the subsidiaries if they're doing business directly. So, let's say these are just foreign corps that you own, you can retain the profits in those companies as long as you want until you're ready to earn them. So, it gives you some timing advantages. Where in, you know, most, if, if you own an S-Corp in the U.S., you're just jammed. Like, if you didn't plan things correctly, you know, on our inventory business, like the second year, uh, our accountant was like, you guys made all this money. And we were like, what? <laughs> I mean, we were like, we were, we were, it was a terrifying moment because we didn't make all that money. We were busy spending it on the business, you know? Yeah, I wonder, though, if you know, physical product companies like yourself have a bit of that more trouble because you're not oh, sure. You're not really sure where the money is. Whereas like a labor guy like myself, a services guy like myself, or that, that Ruby developer where it's all, most of his expenses are people and servers, things he can't touch. Sure, sure. He kind of knows where the money is. And, Good point. He, and he can move it around at the right times, all, even all by himself. And that's a great distinction. If you've got a physical products business, get an accountant in the game early. It's like it's worth your 400 bucks to go have dinner with that dude and just figure out what's going to happen in your business because you don't want to end up like in my shoes back in 09 when I had this big tax bill on money that was in a warehouse somewhere. I mean, that's just that's just... 
I mean, that'll sour your oatmeal. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. Like all those transactions going back and forth about little tiny items, you know, that are that are critical to your business. Um, it's just it's foreign to me. Blows so, my mind. Okay, so there's an interesting setup. Um, there's this there's this notion in offshore corporations that the IRS has called substantial assistance, and it means that if there's a company that you own offshore that doesn't have a brain center in the United States, so it's managed by people that live in say the Philippines, and you own something in, in Hong Kong. You can keep all your profits in Hong Kong until you decide to remit them as personal income, which gives you some timing advantages. Now, at the end of the day, the cows are going to come home. You have to pay your taxes as an American, but it can give you some advantages over that S-corp where just like every year, bam, 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 the end of the year, you're paying. Yeah, you get those K-1s that come through yeah. and all of a sudden you have a huge extra pile of income that you didn't really think of. And so. it could just be a convenience thing, which is that you have just a little bit more flexibility, which is cool. So that something, some these things are something to think about when you have some scale. But yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna say that's more down the the, the six hundred the two year mark, <laughs> yeah. six hundred day mark. You know, you're starting to get to that that level maybe where you can think about this kind of stuff. The I have five customers now consistently that yeah. kind of thing. And we were also saying, you know, if you're not gonna want to live outside the United States and you're not gonna want to be an international person yourself. I wouldn't think about any of this stuff really until you get to the subsidiary phase. So you're looking to take profits from your corporation in the U.S. and invest in major stuff offshore. If you don't really want to do that, then just forget about it, man, because, you know, it's too much trouble. It's not it's not that much of a benefit. And um, like I said, if you're substantially assisting that offshore corporation. So, like, let's say I'm a solopreneur, but I'm my customers are paying me through my Hong Kong corporation. No, that's not everybody's like I get it like I see what you're doing you're using a foreign corp as a proxy right. you can't do that you're gonna get checked you're gonna get, it's like an LLC flow through yeah so. and and then the other thing is too and, and we talked about that a little bit of this offline but American companies companies not not individuals but companies like to do business with other American companies exactly and so if you put yourself in a situation where you're saying oh I'm trying to get all these tax advantages by having a Hong Kong corporation, a Belize corporation, and that's the only way to pay me. Oh, I, I could take credit cards, I could I could take PayPal, but it's all through this offshore corporation. You know, all right, all right, let's do a little role play. Yeah. You're the guy that you live in the Philippines and you have a call center and I want to buy some. But even, I mean, Philippines might even be better. Imagine if it was like Seychelles or some shit. You no know? way. It's like, hey man, thanks for the two week sales process. Like, thanks for all the consultative work. Now, all you gotta do is send a $15,000 check to, to the Canary Islands. Yeah. <laughs> no way. There's no way. And then just the, you know, when you deal with these big companies, contracts have to go through their legal team. Yeah. And they're gonna see, like, you know, pursuant to the, the Santilles <laughs> Islands uh, where my corporation is based. And they're going to be like, no way. According to the laws of California and your California corporation, right? Yes. And you're going to, oh, I don't have a California corporation. Well, well, sorry, buddy. We don't do business with you. So this is a great example of how subsidiaries can come to great use. You know, if you are going to do your operations offshore, you want to make sure that you've got some kind of entity in a respectable jurisdiction that your customers are going to want to do business with you from. All right. So finally, as an individual, I mean, one of the one of the things that David mentioned about is using your ATM card. You know, like it, where where your money is and how you can get money. But I would say, like, if you're an American and you can get a bank account in Singapore, a lot of Singapore banks would just be like, you know what, we're not wanting to deal with your uh, government. But if you can, that's a good thing to do. 
It would always be a good thing to do. Like if I were like, here's a free bank account in Singapore, you just take it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, opening bank accounts uh, all over the world is not that hard. It's just a matter of keeping that minimum balance in there so your money just get drained away by fees and stuff like that. Exactly. So, so right now, you know, me personally, I have something uh, here in the Philippines, but I have most of my money in the U.S. and I travel all over the world and I have no problem getting at my money. So, no so okay, so a couple questions then. How do you get at your money? Like, let's say you need $5,000 to buy a car here in the Philippines. How would you get $5,000? Yeah, if it was going to be my own personal car or I was going to buy that on the business. Let's say personal money. Like, yeah. you, wanted to, you wanted to buy a house or something like that. Right. How do you get big money if you just have your, like, Bank of America card back home? You would just transfer it to a bank account that you own here in the Philippines? or Yeah, I would probably wire the money to them if they accept wire. Or I'd bring it here cash. If it's small enough for a car, $5,000, $10,000. I mean, cash here will get you a huge discount on stuff like that. Right. So, you know, that 10%. And people are like, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to walk around with $10,000 in, in a suitcase. Hey, man, it happens all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and in the Philippines, if you show up uh, for a vacation, you can get a Filipino bank account, which is really useful because then you can take out big money. If you, let's say I wanted to set up an office as just a, that Ruby on Rails guy. I could transfer money from Bank of America over to Metro Bank and then walk into Metro Bank and say, I want all that money because I got to go give it to Magnati. Right. Or, I mean, hey, they take checks too. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, really, it's a checking account. If you were buying a house and it was for 5 million pesos, you know, which is $100,000, not even, but whatever, a little bit more than $100,000, $120,000, um, you know, you would write a check out of your, your Filipino bank account. You would have wired the money from your your U.S. account to your Filipino account, yeah. and that's it. It's and easier than it sounds, actually. It's yeah. not that complex. The biggest thing you have, to, you have to know is that you have to tell the U.S. government about every bank account that you open. So you can't, it's not like free money. You can't come over and just open up bank accounts. Every bank account you open, you gotta, you gotta declare that to the treasury every year. Yeah, and that's why if I was doing personal banking um, in foreign countries. I wouldn't mind having these bank accounts and declaring them. Just make sure that you don't have any income coming into them because that's when it starts to get sticky for you yep. because they're going to be like, well, why are you making deposits into this account? Right. What's the source of this income? And you know, you don't want to get into that whole can of beans. Very cool. All right. So Joe, man, we did 18 minutes on uh, foreign banking. Uh, for guys that don't know anything about <laughs> foreign banking, that's a lot. Two talkers in a room. Cheers, and thanks for joining us on, on the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Check it out at tropicalmba.com. Get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do, plus give you those 50 free podcast episodes. If you want to say, hey, check me out on Twitter, at Tropical MBA. We'll see you soon.